Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar. We appreciate all of you from around the world gathering together as we follow our lady in her, I'm not even going to say request, her demand from heaven that we do the first Saturdays. And we've all joined together. Again, I have been saying I believe this is one of the largest gatherings of people in the world right now doing First Saturdays together. And that is here with us at the National Shrine. And praise be to God. So we're going to do a talk. Actually, I normally always do a Marian apparition talk on the first Saturday. I've been doing that now for a long time. But we're going to make an exception today. We're going to talk about Benedict XVI and what was the confusion and, and how was his papacy. And then we'll follow, we'll shut down and then start back up with the devotion of First Saturday. So let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us. We ask for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict XVI and that we may be a faithful flock in the church entrusted to our, from our Lord. And we ask all this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary and through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to talk a little bit about Pope Francis. You saw, I'm sorry, Pope Benedict. We saw on the slide, what did he really teach controversy there was some of that we're going to talk a little bit about that okay let's start right in let's look at our first slide this is where he was born this is his actual house where pope benedict was born um, uh, as joseph ratzinger okay he was born on holy saturday but you don't know that as, as, as joseph aloysius ratzinger on april the 16th 1927 in bavaria in germany and that's a picture of the house <clears throat> let's look at our next slide those are his family members he was the youngest of three children his father joseph senior was a police officer and his brother, Greg, or George Radzinger, is a retired priest uh, who has also passed away. And um, they were ordained on the same day. So really kind of fascinating. So now on the other one in that picture is his sister, Maria. And do you know what her job was? She was his housekeeper all the way till he died. Now, if I asked that of my sister, she'd say, no way, no way. So um, now, a lot of controversy about him being in the Hitler Youth. At 14 years old, he was forced. All German youth were forced, boys, uh, to serve in that. And then at 16 years old, he was actually drafted into the German army at 16. Now, I know this because we have Marian brothers uh, they've passed away now that when I came into the community told me about the time they were forced to serve in the German army. And, uh, and so this was during World War II. They were young. And so it was forced. But what did he do? In 1945, he deserted the army. He took off. And he actually was captured by the Americans and was a prisoner of war. We don't know this. Many people don't know this. And so <clears throat> let's take a look at our next slide. He returned to his seminary studies and was ordained a priest in Munich now uh, Germany, in June of 1951. He was 24 years old. There's a picture of him, like a haircut, right? Um, and so this is who he was. Now let's go to the next slide. 
when the, here's an interesting little story. When the archbishop placed his hands on his head during the ordination, uh, during the rite, which I'll never forget that moment when Bishop Holly laid his hands. I mean, that's apostolic succession in the church. That was a moment I will never forget. You, you could feel the Holy Spirit. And what happened to him is that as he placed, the bishop placed his hands, a bird all of a sudden flew up from the high altar. They don't even know where the bird came from and started to sing. And I keep thinking back to when I was a novice right here in our, if any of our guests here today go down to the Lord's Grotto, there's a, pig, uh, a statue of Mary on our Lord's Grotto, and there's a little bird's nest on the top of the, of the grotto. And every time I go down, there's a novice, this little blue bird, she'd fly out of the nest and she would sit on Mary's shoulder and sing. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. That beautiful, just, you know, just God's little signs like that. So Pope Benedict took that or Ratzinger took that as a reassurance from heaven that he was on the right path. So anyway, then he started getting into his priesthood. He helped at Vatican II. Do you know this? He was first very liberal. He was very liberal at first, but more conservative. He actually became conservative, believe it or not, in 1968. You could pick a time. And he said it was because of the sexual revolution and its misunderstanding of God's teaching in the theology of the body. And so he did a lot of studies. He was in line with theologians like Congar and de Lubach, and even was criticized by von Balthasar, which these are all theologians, but he actually agreed with the criticism. So he was a humble man. He was a humble man. And so what happened? He became cardinal then in Munich, in Germany, in 1977, he's considered the leading theologian of the 20th century. This is a very true thing. And, you know, Time Magazine listed him as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world before he became pope. Now, that's what makes it interesting. After pope, okay, you can see it. They always got to put a token pope on there, right? But he was on the list before he was pope and times 100 most influential people in the world. So let's look at the next slide. He was elected Pope on April the 19th, 2005 at 78 years old. Why? Because Pope Francis, or Pope uh, Benedict, sorry, Pope John Paul passed away. Now, here's what's funny is they were holding the conclave and doing the papal elections. This is, this is almost what I said to the Lord of when uh, we're, we're, we're doing as provincial right now. Um, I, I could see why he said this. He said, I prayed to God, please don't do this to me. <laughs> Regarding being made Pope, he says, Ev evidently this time God didn't listen to me. And so he was elected Pope. The day after he was elected Pope, he addressed the cardinals and put his pontificate and the church under Mary. He made an act of entrustment. What is that? That's basically marrying consecration. He focused on Mary. How perfect that he died on the vigil of Mary's biggest feast day, January 1st, the solemnity of the mother of God. He said, the older I get, the more important Mary became to me. And so at Cana, he said, 
Mary is the prototype of the interceding church. Such a deep meaning at Cana. Unlike that video we showed last week of mockery of Cana. Is this what the Catholics think Mary's all about? There's nothing here. Well, really? You got to read the richness of Cana. And so let's go to our next slide. These are, he's got many great works. My favorite, if you haven't read it yet, Spirit of the Liturgy. I'm telling you, he's easier to understand than John Paul. Everybody looks at John Paul's friendly face and they look at Benedict like kind of stern and they think, oh, he must be much more difficult. Uh, John Paul must be much easier. Absolutely, I took it the opposite. Now, maybe everybody doesn't feel that way. But when I was reading them both in seminary, I was like, Ratzinger is way easier for me to understand than John Paul was. And so he, Spirit of the Liturgy, this is the other book, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the book you see on your screen. Actually, he wrote 66 books. So he was quite a writer. Now he had encyclicals on morality, the life of Jesus, the history of the church. Um, and you know what's funny? Let's go to our next slide. Kind of strange, but he wore those red shoes, right? He wore those red shoes. Um, it's not a fashion statement, trust me. Um, in the Catholic faith, red symbolizes what? Martyrdom and the passion of Christ. So they signify the Pope following in the footsteps of Christ. That's why that's why we wear red shoes, not just red vestments. It's red because it's martyrdom and blood, but it's shoes specifically because he's following in the footsteps of Christ, who is the martyr. Now, known as the German shepherd, he held strong. What was his papal motto? Toto tuus? No, that was John Paul. Totally yours. What was Benedict's? Cooperatoris veritatis, that means co-sharer of the truth, collaborator of the truth, which means the truth is not just a thing, it is a person, it is Jesus Christ. And this is why it's so funny because Pope John Paul, Father Kaz loves, and he's Polish, and everybody associates John Paul with the love, and John Paul, or uh, Benedict was all about the truth. And so Benedict was like my favorite Pope because he was all about the truth, even though there's been a lot of things coming out now about some mistakes that were made. We're going to talk about that, some controversy in a minute. Now, his theology was sound. He was open to science and discovery. You know, he never shut off science and discovery. He always was open to that. Like, you know, there's, there's questions now about the Big Bang even. But even if the Big Bang is true, he said, well, God orchestrated it. What's so difficult to understand, he said. So he understood the modern world, but he warned of secularism. His, his whole point was the secular world has become, has fallen away from God. So he tried even before the secular world, the atheist, he tried to be ecumenical with Judaism, Islam, the Protestants, but he never sacrificed the truth. All right. Listen to what he said at Regensburg. You've probably heard that term Regensburg and the controversy at Regensburg. Yeah, there was some. Listen to what he said. He said at Regensburg, show me just what Muhammad brought that was new. And there you will find things only evil and inhumane such as the command to spread by the sword the faith he preached. Ooh, that started a firestorm. But it's the truth. 
So he was condemned for the truth. Sound familiar? I love it. He canonized some of my favorite saints, canonized Mother Teresa, Marianne Cope. Who's Marianne Cope? She worked with St. Damien of Molokai to go out to Hawaii. She was from upstate New York, right by us. Beautiful. Also, one of my favorites, St. Kateri, also from right down the road from where we are at the shrine. He canonized 45 saints. Wow. He beatified many, many, many more. And you know who was the big one he beatified? Blessed Michael Sapochko, the confessor of St. Faustina. And so, listen to this. He's fluent. This is one talent I do not have. He is fluent in Latin, German, English, Italian, French, Spanish, and some Portuguese. <laughs> I can't even say other than hola in Spanish. And so he had a gift. He was a real person, enjoyed playing the piano, loved Mozart, loved Bach. Uh, people didn't know this. He actually was a pilot, an airplane pilot, a helicopter pilot, but he didn't even have a driver's license. Very interesting. He loved cats, rescued strays right off the streets of Rome. Big heart. Um, you know, he even still had the stuffed animals that his mom made him when he was a child. He kept the, state, the stuffed animals that she made for him. Now, what happened? Well, okay, so he serves, I'm kind of giving you a general overview, but he ended up resigning in 2013 for health reasons, and he went to Mater Ecclesiae Monastery, mother of the church, Mater, mother, Ecclesiae Church, right there in the Vatican Gardens. Now, let's take a look at the next slide. At 95, he passed away on the vigil of the mother of God, as we said. This was just last Thursday, January 5th. You know what his last words were? What were his last words? Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Let us all remember to say that on our deathbed. Mine's going to be, have mercy on me. So um, he's, you know what's interesting about the funeral? A couple of interesting things came out. I was watching some of the reports and uh, first of all, he banned Joe Biden. He banned Joe Biden from coming to the funeral. This called him a self-proclaimed Catholic. Would not allow him at the funeral. And the U.S. complied, sent another person as a delegate. But Biden was blocked, not allowed to go, per the request, direct request of the Holy See. 50,000 people showed up at the funeral. First time ever a pope attended a funeral of his predecessor. Never before has a pope done the funeral mass for another pope. Now, there is an interview with his secretary, George Ganschwein. He was his secretary. And I want to tell you something about this, because in the interview, people were questioning the church during his time after he left the papacy. Rightfully so. A lot of problems, a lot of questions. And Benedict kept going back to Jesus being asleep in the storm. And so all, and this is what Benedict said. He said, um, the Lord was still there. He may seem to have been asleep, but he's there. All he had to do was speak and it would all be calm. The problem is, I think the Lord is speaking. We're just not listening. Even in his presence, the disciples were afraid. So it's quite normal that the disciples of today will be afraid. But never forget one thing. He is here and he remains here. This is 
Benedict talking about God in the midst of all our darkness. Some continue to say his resignation was not a free choice or even that he wanted to remain Pope but was forced out. This is a very uh, reasonable question right now. I'm not going to get into the detail, uh, but, but Benedict was adamant that it was his choice to resign. Quote, he said, some ask me, but how is it possible, this is talking to his secretary now, how is it possible that he gave up saying he no longer had the strength and then he still lived another 10 years? And Benedict replied, I must say that I am the first one who is surprised that the Lord gave me more time. I thought a year at most and he gave me 10. Now, his resignation, guess what, was on Lord's Day, the day Father Seraphim passed away, February the 11th. And it was the first resignation by a pope since Gregory the 7th in 1415, but here's the bigger one. It was the first one on the pope's own initiative. See, Gregory the 7th was forced to resign. But it was the first one where a pope resigned on his own initiative since Celestine V in 1294. So we're talking almost 800 years. Yes, he was 85 years old, but he was still active. And the Vatican never indicated a terminal illness. It's kind of odd, isn't it? It's strange. According to a statement from the Vatican... And I just read this this morning, and I had to add this in as I was going through this. This shocked me. This troubled me. And here we are. We want to talk about the truth. We're not speculating at all. We're just, we're just giving truth facts. According to a statement from the Vatican, the timing of the resignation was not caused by any specific illness, but was only, quote, to avoid the exhausting rush of Easter engagements. I sat there this morning in my chair dumbfounded by that. That all of a sudden, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, theorist I'm not. But when I read that this morning, I did say, whoa, what the heck is that? So we don't know, we're not going to speculate, but we need to pray. We need to pray. He specifically took the term Pope Emeritus and continued to wear white, which caused a lot of people to believe that he was still the Pope. Again, we're not speculating. Please, I'm just giving you the facts. He chose the name Benedict XVI in honor of Benedict XV, who guided the church through the turbulent times of World War I, right? Um, and he acknowledged... Now, here's the other thing that troubled me. Right away in his papacy, he implored prayers. He begged for prayers. And I'm going to give you here is a fact. I am not speculating. I'm not giving a conspiracy theory. But it is true, he said, please, please pray for me that I may not flee for the fear of the wolves. 
he said that. That's not my speculating that that's why he resigned. He said that. Now, he didn't say that's why he resigned. He said this in the beginning of his papacy. Please, please pray for me that I may not flee for fear of the wolves. So we have to pray. Did he flee? A lot of people think he abandoned the post, abandoned the ship. A lot of people are upset by that. And I'm not, I, again, I'm not speculating anything. I'm just saying it's a fact that some people are upset. But just because of Easter engagements is why he resigned, according to the Vatican, something. Okay, I'm not going to say anymore. It just, it just, the fact is red is a martyr. Okay, red is a martyr. And, and we don't give up. Were the wolves that powerful? We don't know. Why was the Roman canon not used at his funeral? Eucharistic prayer one, the richest, deepest prayer of the church, which has always been used, was not used at his funeral? Just, just questions for thought, not trying to speculate anything. Now, others disagree. I highly respect George Weigel, and I, it's fair that I give the opposing viewpoint. What's the opposing viewpoint? Okay, The Real Ratzinger was an article just released three days ago by George Weigel. And he said, I knew Joseph Ratzinger for 35 years. He was a brilliant, holy man who bore no resemblance to the caricature that was created by his enemies, the wolves, and then by the media. He said, I knew him. The cartoon Ratzinger, as he calls it, the media Ratzinger, was made out to be grim, relentless, ecclesiastical enforcer, God's Rottweiler. He said, the Ratzinger I knew was a consummate gentleman with a gentle soul, a shy man who nonetheless had a great sense of humor, Mozart lover, and was fundamentally a happy person, not sour. He said the media Ratzinger, the cartoon Ratzinger, was incapable of understanding or appreciating modern thought. He was from the Stone Age. The, George Weigel says the Ratzinger I knew was arguably the most learned man in the world. With an encyclopedia-like knowledge of Christian theology, not just Catholic, but Orthodox and Protestant, all the philosophy, both ancient, medieval, and modern, Biblical studies, Jewish and Christian biblical studies, and politics, both classic and contemporary. When asked a question, he would answer it in complete paragraphs, usually in his third or fourth language. Wow. The media Ratzinger was a Nazi sympathizer. George Weigel says the Ratzinger I knew was the German who, when he went to Britain in 2010, thanked the British people for winning the war. Here he is, German, and he's thanking the Brits for winning the Battle of Britain. He was a Bavarian Christian who disdained Marxism like every other pope since Leo XIII. I get so many letters, it baffles my mind when I give the warnings of Marxism. 
This is the brainwashing that is going on in our world. If you think Marxism is the answer, you need to read every pope from Leo XIII through Benedict. This is what he says. Marxism is totalitarian and murderous. The cartoon Ratzinger, the media Ratzinger, was an enemy of the Second Vatican Council. George Weigel says the Ratzinger I knew was in his mid-30s and was one of the three most influential at Vatican II. Let's take a look at our next um, slide. This here is Ratzinger as the prefect of the CDF. What's the CDF? Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. And he worked in, 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 in harmony with John Paul II to define and interpret the Vatican Council because it's been so misinterpreted. And by the way, I'm going to be doing a talk soon in the next couple of weeks on Vatican II. So please come back for that. He went on to say the cartoon Ratzinger was this prehistoric throwback, determined to turn back any liturgical reform. He said, nope, the Ratzinger I knew was deeply influenced by 20th century liturgical movements. He said the, rat, the cartoon or media Ratzinger craved power. Nope, the Ratzinger I knew tried three times to resign his post. You know, I tried three times to resign as Father Joseph and Father Kaz would never let me. <laughs> Now I'm doing better, so I don't feel that. But he had zero desire to be pope. He told fellow uh, churchmen in 2005 that he was not a man of governance and only accepted his election to the papacy in obedience to God's will. He said the cartoon Ratzinger was indifferent to the crisis of clerical sexual abuse. George Weigel said the Ratzinger I knew did as much as anyone as the prefect of the CDF and then as pope to cleanse the church of what he brutally and accurately described as filth. I'll talk more about that in a minute. All right, I want to go to some mercy quotes. One of the reasons I, 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 I love his, his approach to the papacy was divine mercy. I want to read you a couple of divine mercy quotes. So let's look up on our screen. Okay, the first, his very first message as Pope on, on April 2005, let's put it up on the screen. Dear friends, this deep gratitude for a gift of divine mercy is uppermost in my heart. And I consider it a special grace which my predecessor, John Paul, had obtained for me. I seem to feel his strong hand clasping mine. I seem to see his smiling eyes and hear his words at this moment addressed specifically to me. Do not be afraid. Hmm. Don't be afraid. Hmm. Let's look at this quote from his general audience in May of 2006. Let's go to our next slide. Being at the shrine of divine mercy... This was the one in Poland, though. Wad Givniki. Allowed me to emphasize that only divine mercy illuminates the mystery of man. Sister Faustina Kowalska received a message of confidence for humanity, the message of divine mercy, which John Paul II echoed and of which he became the interpreter. It is a really central message for our time. Mercy as the force of God, as the divine limit against the evil of the world. What a quote. Two more. Let's go to our next slide. Divine Mercy 2008. 
Benedict said, indeed, mercy is the central nucleus of the gospel message. That means it's not optional, everybody. It is the very name of God, the face with which he revealed himself in the old covenant and fully in Jesus Christ. The incarnation of creative and redemptive love. May this merciful love also shine on the face of the church and show itself through the sacraments, particularly of reconciliation. From divine mercy, which brings peace to hearts, genuine peace flows into the world. That's what we did yesterday, everybody. At our first Friday, we were talking about why the mercy is not being flown to the world because our Lord's sacred heart is wounded. We need to make reparation to the wounded sacred heart so that mercy can start pouring onto the world. He says, uh, genuine peace flows into the world, peace between different peoples, cultures, and religions. Finally, last quote, next slide. This was the homily on the third anniversary of John Paul's death. So also 2008. In fact, this is, this is Benedict speaking, only divine mercy is able to impose limitations on evil. Only the almighty love of God can defeat the tyranny of the wicked and the destructive power of selfishness and hate. As John Paul II said, apart from the mercy of God, there is no other source of hope for mankind. Wow. So let's take a quick look at a one minute video. It's like one minute and 20 seconds. Let's take a look at this video. Now, the reason I'm showing this is because our last three popes have been the most three mercy popes in the church's history. Is it any coincidence that they've all been back to back to back? Let's watch this quick video. It's only a minute and about 20 seconds. Misericordia tu e Pater Clementissime, Papa me meritum benedictum commitimus, quem Petri successore constituisti et ecclesia pastore, non sion intrepidum verbitui divinorum misteriorum fidelem dispensatorem. Okay, so combing through the papacy of Benedict, <clears throat> which is only eight years long, what are the things he wanted to teach us? If you were to summarize the entire papacy, you could either read all 66 books, 
all those encyclicals and apostolic exhortations, or you can listen to the next five minutes. Ten minutes. Here's what he wanted you to learn. First, God is love. Fact, so much that that was his first encyclical, Deus Caritas Est. Basically, let's look at our next slide. This is the book, or the, the encyclical, God is love. He said, strip everything else away. The core of the Christian message is that God is love. Okay, Father, I know this. This is pretty standard. But here's what you may not know. The ultimate reality in the universe, the one who created it and sustains it, is love itself. In faith, we call this God. This love that created the universe and sustains it, we call it God. God is not just a force, it is a person. And it's not just a person, but a lover. We don't think of God as a lover, but he is. The heart of the encyclical is this. Eros, which is the Greek word for sexual love, romantic love. He said, and I never thought about this till I read it is a beautiful reflection of God's passionate love for humanity. Do you ever think about that? We always think a sexual is kind of this, uh, you know, kind of this dirty thing unless you're married, and then it's only supposed to be for creation of babies. It's supposed to always be open for creation of life, but it is to be unitive too, renewal of the covenant. And what he says is God gave us sexual love as a reflection of God's passionate love for humanity. Wow. Yet Eros, he says, is not the end in itself. That's what our society wants to make it. Detach it from God and make it the end in itself. No, rather it calls out, calls us out of ourselves towards something higher, something he calls agape love, or the Greeks called agape. This is a complete self-giving where you would give your life for another one that you love so much, just like Jesus did for us. Agape, he said, flows into service of one's neighbor, especially the poor and the vulnerable, which is the basic for basis for all Catholic charitable work. This is why we're attacked for doing works, but this is what they are, not works of the law. Works of the law is wrong. That's what the Bible condemns. The Bible does not condemn works of love. In fact, in Matthew 25, it says it's needed to get to heaven. We put our love into action. And guess what that's the definition of? If you've been listening to my talks for the last three years, love in action is a definition of mercy. Love put into action. Beautiful how he ties this together. Critics such as Friedrich Nietzsche, okay, have complained that Christianity has ruined Eros by making humans ashamed of their sexuality, by treating sex as something to be controlled and feared. I told you about when I had the 10th uh, grade girls in Boston for uh, confirmation. And in, at the break, I, I, I didn't even focus on it, but I had mentioned in my talk that marriage is between a man and a woman. And at the break, here comes this 10th grade girl with her posse. And she corners me. And she says, how dare some gray-haired old man in Rome tell me what I can do in my bedroom? Now, as I always say, I did not respond because I'd end up probably being defrocked from the priesthood. But what I was thinking in my mind is, you're in 10th grade. What are we talking about what's going on in your bedroom? But of course, I didn't say that. But this is the brainwashing. 
This is what's going on. And so Nietzsche and others say this, that this, the church just wants to control and fear you. No, Benedict says instead Christianity liberates eros, romantic love, by pointing the way upward to true fulfillment, unitive and procreative. In reality, he insists that feelings are just the beginning of love, not the end. We make it the end. When the feelings end, I want a divorce. No, I don't feel like changing a dirty diaper, as I always say at two in the morning, but you do when you love your child. Love is the recognition that we are the sons and daughters of God in God's love for all humanity, which calls us to love our neighbor in the same way. God is love. This is the first message you wanted to get out there. What's his next message? Truth and freedom are the... Two sides of the same coin, he said. We think freedom means don't tell me what I can do. I don't want to know, just like that young girl, don't tell me what I can do in my bedroom. 10th grade. I want freedom. That's not freedom. He connects them beautifully. Listen to what he says. This, um, this is what was said by his secretary. A single word to sum up Benedict's entire message to the world is truth. God bless him. Notice love and truth. Father Kaz, Father Chris. No, just kidding. We need love. We need the truth. We need them both. Can't be just Father Kaz. Can't be just Father Chris. We need both. I need to both loving and of the truth. Father Kaz needs to be loving and of the truth. And we pray we are. As he said, this motto is, when he was a bishop, was cooperatores veritatis co-workers of the truth. That was his motto. He said the chief challenge facing the world and humanity today is a dictatorship of relativism. What is relativism? We have a denial of objective truth. Objective truth is the reality of life. All right? There is only two genders. That's an objective truth. All right? Relativism recognizes nothing as definitive, he said. One's self and one's own opinion is the final measure. That's why we need a church. I get letters all the time, Father, I disagree with you. I always respond in love. Well, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the church. You're disagreeing with God. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the big mouth. That's all I am. Many endorse this cultural relativism because they want to be free not under somebody else's rule of the truth, but such a, defier, a desire reflects a flawed understanding of what freedom is. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want. That's license. Freedom is the ability to do what you ought to do, like be here today and worshiping God. That's freedom. Not going out and murdering or fornicating or whatever. That's not freedom. Truth and freedom are thus not opposed, but inter interdependent. So the second message, first is God is love. The next is message of Benedict is God is the truth. Love and truth. Then he goes on. The importance of being Catholic. Having a Catholic identity, which we're losing today. Cardinal Bertoni said that the overall goal of Benedict's papacy was to defend authentic Christian identity in a world marked by religious relativism uphold Catholic identity. Some Catholics and many Catholic institutions, oh my, 
removing crosses from Catholic colleges, having same-sex dorms in Catholic colleges. They are shaped more by the values of secular society than the tradition of the church. The time has come to recover a strong sense of the living Catholic faith, he said. His decision to broaden permission for the use of the pre-Vatican II Mass, the Latin Mass, Mass in the Extraordinary Form, which again, I will be doing a talk in the next couple weeks on this, and to reassert that the Catholic Church alone is the true church, express his conviction of Catholic identity. So no matter all these other mistakes that we mentioned earlier, he held to this. He comes out of the communion school, you might have heard it, called communio. This school of theology was associated with the theologian Hans von Balthasar. All right. Christianity, he said, has to maintain itself in a culture that is at odds with the worldview and modernity. If we stray, if he said this, if we stray from the truth, we are in trouble. But if we stay true to our identity, Benedict said we will become a smaller but more faithful church. I think you see that happening. Who's leaving the church? The unfaithful. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody hasn't been hurt by the church and they left. That's understandable, but we pray for them, right? He wants us to be in the world, but not of it. Okay, that's his third message. What's his fourth message? Christ and the church are inseparable. You need the church. This is what I want to hear today. This is what I want to hear. Any attempt to say yes to Jesus, but no to the church falls apart, he said. Because Jesus' goal was precisely to gather and save people. And he did it through setting up his church. Matthew 16, 18. Many opt for Jesus without the church. Well, I, I go right to Jesus. I don't need the church. Jesus said you do. He set up the church hierarchy. He established the, chair of Peter, uh, of the papacy, put Peter upon it. Created the hierarchy of the church magisterium, ordained the first priests. He established that, gave them the authority in his name. All this, John 20, 23, Matthew 16, 19, Matthew 18, 18, it's all there. Let's go to our next slide. Okay. Benedict, look at that picture. Isn't that amazing? Look at all the people there at the Vatican. Benedict insists that in the end, one cannot truly love Jesus or follow his teachings without acknowledging the church that Jesus put into place. That's fascinating. One does not walk away from a family when things get rough, he said. So a disciple of Jesus does not walk away from his church in tough times. Almost like my phrase, you don't leave Jesus because of Judas. Those who reject the church have to realize yes to Jesus also needs to mean yes to the church. From the crisis of today, he said, the church of tomorrow will emerge, a church that has lost much but she will become small and will have to start afresh, more or less, from the beginning. We will have a smaller but more faithful church. But in the end, he said, the church of faith will persevere. 
It may be just a fraction of us. And those of us who are left may go to our death, but it will not be taken away, Jesus promised. All right? Next, he was a... So those are the four things that Benedict wanted you to know about his papacy. That's what he wanted to teach the world. I just summarized 66 books for you. That's it. Right there. All right, now, he was a doctrinal defender. Let's look at our next slide. There he is with John Paul. John Paul believed that the decades after Vatican II were marred by theological free-for-all. And that encouraged, he encouraged Ratzinger to help restore a sense of balance by putting him in charge of the CDF. This is why the resignation just, man, man. He took action against prominent theologians. This is never mentioned. That he believed departed from Catholic teaching. He disciplined them. These actions made him a controversial figure among Catholics and the in the progressive church's right or left wing who referred to him as Panzer Cardinal Ratzinger and God's Rottweiler. Well, with absolute support from John Paul, he tackled topics such as women's priests, women priests, gay marriage, and homosexuality. He said the inclination itself of homosexuality is not a sin, but it is an objective disorder. He was against gender theory. Let's read a quote in 2005 that Benedict said, and I'm just reading his words verbatim. He said, quote, the various forms of the dissolution of matrimony today, like free unions, trial marriages, and going up to pseudo matrimonies by people of the same sex are rather expressions of an anarch freedom that wrongly anarchic freedom that wrongly passes for true freedom of man from here it becomes all the more clear how contrary it is to human love to the profound vocation of man and woman to systematically close their union to the gift of life and even worse to suppress or tamper with the life that is born wow Wow, what guts. Speak the truth. In 2000, he signed the Declaration Dominus Jesus, which affirmed that there is a single church of Christ that subsists in the Catholic Church, prompting a lot of criticisms from Protestant leaders. And then finally, last paragraph, yay. In 2001, Ratzinger convinced John Paul to allow the CDF to investigate clerical abuse. Once a week, they would read cases of accused priests, a practice he referred to as my Friday penance. Between 2004 and when he left the papacy, 848 priests were prosecuted or laicized. 2,572 priests were given other penalties. However, priests like McCarrick or cardinals remained. How do we explain that? I don't know. How do I try to explain it? I'm not gonna. But God caught up to it. It's finally revealed. He apologized for not handling all cases well. So we're not going to canonize his efforts in this area. 
We're going to give the reality. But to finish, for him, the church is alive. It's not dying. Let's look at our last couple slides. In 2007, as I mentioned briefly a minute ago, the motto proprio, sumarum pontificum, acknowledges that priests right, they have a right to offer mass using the Roman Missal of 1962 in Latin. He defined the new and old versions of the Roman Missal as the ordinary and the extraordinary form. So the mass you attend on your normal street corner church is the ordinary form of the mass. If you go to the Latin Trinitine Mass, they call that the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite. And he expressed hope that they would both be mutual enriching. Pope Francis later reversed this. Reversed this. Benedict pointed out that the use of the Trinitine Mass was never juridically abrogated. What does that mean? It was never stopped. And consequently, in principle, the Trinitine Mass is always permitted. Again, this was overturned by Francis. A lot of confusion. All right, in 2010, he attempted to shed light on the Vatican's uh, finances, which is a mess, with the creation of a watchdog body called the Financial, Financial Information Authority. However, his efforts to reform it were undermined by a series of leaked documents. So they had to shut the whole thing down. They ended up jailing his butler. His butler was stealing the documents and issuing them to the press. Man, you can't even trust your butler. All right, so he beatified 800 and proclaimed two doctors of the church, St. Hildegard of Bingen and St. John of Avila. He had three encyclop encyclopedias, encyclicals, Deus Caritas Est, which is on love, Space Salve, which is on hope, and Caritas in Veritate, on charity. He said it should not be as pre versus post Vatican II, but we need to have continuity between them. I remember in North Carolina when I was teaching catechism, I was using the Baltimore Catechism, and the DRE, the Director of Religious Ed, came after me and said, What are you doing? I don't know. I'm using the, like, what's wrong? She's like, what are you doing? I says, I'm using the Baltimore Catechism. She says, that's so pre-Vatican II. So? It's still the truth. And on the flip side, we have some radical traditionalists, and I'm a traditionalist, but if they can't find an extraordinary form mass, they won't go to church at all. You can't do that. You're guilty of mortal sin. Now, I understand the reverence thing. I get it. And if you prefer the extraordinary mass, you have every right to go to it. But if you physically cannot find a mass in the extraordinary form, and you have an uh, Nova Sordo mass next door to you, and you don't go, you are guilt culpable. We have to understand that. And this is what Benedict taught. He called it the hermeneutic of continuity. He didn't imply there was a split between the two. He says we need both pre-Vatican II and post-Vatican II. There's no such thing as, oh, I'm only pre-Vatican II. I'm a radical traditionalist, and I'm only post-Vatican II. Oh, that is so pre-Vatican II. Reject it. 
You can't. They have to go together. It's a hermeneutic of continuity. And he stressed this. Thus, the mass in every rite should be approached and celebrated. Now, I do agree. With the, I am a traditionalist. I do agree. That Latin mass is incredibly beautiful. And it's reverent. We need to have that same reverence in the Novus Ordo Mass. And we're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. So to finish, right there, our last slide, he said the Novus Ordo does not replace pre-Vatican II notions. It doesn't. But it offers fresh insights into Catholic doctrine which enable us to understand it more precisely or live it more fully. So it's not to be rejected. I cannot reject the Extraordinary Form Mass, even though I celebrate the Novus Ordo, and somebody who celebrates the Extraordinary Form cannot reject the Novus Ordo. They are both full of infinite grace. You have the right to choose, but you cannot reject either one. And so that's the message of Pope Benedict. And so while there are, there are discrepancies and some controversies, and I get that, I still wonder, especially after this morning, what the heck happened on this resignation? But I'm not going to speculate. All I'm going to say is, Lord, have mercy on his soul for anything he had done, and let us give thanks for somebody who stands up for the truth. Let's pray for the weaknesses, but give thanks for the positives. Amen? Amen. And so we finish now. Brother Mark is going to ramp down and we're going to ask you to stay with us so that um, you can celebrate the first Saturday devotion with us that Mother Mary asked us to do at Fatima. And uh, last thing, if Mark hasn't shut down already, if he has, uh, please become a Marian helper. Um, micprayers.org. This is a beautiful way for you to share in all the graces of us Marian fathers. Just like you were Marian priest or brother, our masses, our rosaries, our prayers, our penances, you share in the same grace. Just like you were Marian priest or brother. Doesn't cost anything. I don't care if you ever donate. That's not the point. The point is to get you to heaven. And how you get to heaven is grace. And how do you get grace? The church. And how do you get to the church? Right here. Praise be to God. So please visit micprayers.org. Now, Brother Mark's going to shut down and then ramp back up as we start the devotion of the first Saturdays. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. 
Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.